Welcome to Holy Unhappiness, conversations about the expectations we have of what the life of faith will feel like. I'm your host, Amanda Held Opelt, author of the book, Holy Unhappiness, God, Goodness, and the Myth of the Blessed Life. Each week, I'll be speaking with writers, pastors, artists, and friends about the myths we believe about the good life. Together, we'll reimagine what blessing can look like if we are willing to look beyond our culture's definition of happiness and success. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. joining us again today um, on the podcast today we're going to be talking about the body which I write about in chapter six of my book Uh, there I talk a little bit about some of these false expectations we have of our own strength this sense of limitlessness that we have and I've invited Kendall Vanderslice on for the conversation Uh, Kendall is a writer and a baker who says her best thinking occurs as she works with dough between her hands she founded the educational nonprofit Edible Theology as an outlet for further research and public engagement about the intersection of theology and food. You can get a taste of their work by listening to her weekly podcast called Kitchen Meditations. Kendall studied at Wheaton College and pursued higher education at Boston University, earning an MLA in gastronomy. She also earned an MTS at Duke University, where she wrote her thesis on the theology of bread. She is also the author of We Will Feast, Rethinking Dinner, Worship, and the Community of God. Her second book, By Bread Alone, A Baker's Reflection on Hunger, Longing, and the Goodness of God, was released in February of 2023. And I really loved talking to Kendall. Now, just a content warning, I wanted to let you know that we are going to be talking about dieting culture and body image, and so if that's a difficult topic for you, I just wanted you to be aware. Kendall, I am really excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to be here. You are, I think, the third or fourth North Carolina-based writer that I have had on the podcast. We've got some good people here. (laughs) We really do. It's a great state. I'm super glad to represent our beautiful state here on my podcast. But um, yeah, it's just been such a pleasure to um, pay you a visit down in the Durham area. I live, you know, just up the mountain from you, um, about a three hour drive, but well worth it. And so it's been just fun getting to know you and your amazing work and everything that you're doing. Um, but I, 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 I brought you on the podcast <laughs> because I wanted to talk to you about the chapter that I wrote 
on the body and yes. kind of my complex relationship that I've had with my body, expectations of how it would serve me, what it could do for the Lord. And the reason I think you're a great person to talk about this is because I, I read your beautiful book by Brad Alone, A Baker's Reflections on Hunger, Longing, and the Goodness of God. And I, I would just love for the folks listening to hear from you how this book came to be, what is this story about, and what was kind of the mission behind writing this book. Yeah, so I say that this book is a theology of bread as told through my story. Mm. Um, and I did not set out to write my story. I really didn't think at first that I was going to get this personal, um, but I, you know, my background is as a baker. I have, um, I love bread. Bread is kind of the main thing that I, that I focus on in, in my baking. And um, I, when I started working as a baker, I would work kind of early in the morning. And then on Sundays, I would rush from my job at the bakery to church on Sunday. And I went and received communion every single week with bread dough still stuck to my arms. Um, and I started to question, like, what does this bread that I have been baking all morning have to do with this bread that I am consuming on Sunday at church? Um, and so that was the sort of genesis for me of this work on on bread and theology um, that ultimately became this book. Um, so I really at first set out just to write a book that was Theology of Bread. Uh, but as I got into kind of this study of bread and theology, I began to realize that part of what I think God is doing through bread in scripture, but also the role of bread sort of in the church, is that um, br bread is this way that God connects with us on this deeply intimate level. Um, that it is like we we taste God on our tongues and we feel God in our bellies in this deeply physical way through bread. Yeah. And I think in many ways, it is kind of this reminder that our faith is this deeply embodied thing, that it's not mm, something that happens right. in our minds, that God is not someone that we know just in our minds, but right. we know in this deeply intimate and physical and embodied way. And I couldn't capture that in just like academic language round bread alone. I felt like right. I could only really capture that in story and in poetry and in recipe and in telling my own story. And so this book ended up becoming a book about my own story of my relationship to bread and my relationship to my body and then my relationship to the bread of life, Jesus, yeah. and my relationship to the body of Christ, to the church. Yeah. There's some fun kind of surprises in this book. You talk <laughs> a little bit about how the history of bread kind of runs adjacent to the history of racial discrimination and white supremacy in this country yeah. and and you talk a lot about how bread has been kind of demonized in many ways in the diet culture of you know 21st century America and and what that experience is like being a baker of bread when so many people have this kind of innate sense of oh bread is bad for me bread is yeah. not good for me and you 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 gently nudge against that well sometimes passionately nudge <laughs> You know, when I first started that. working on this book, I first started sort of pitching it to book agents back in 2019. Mm -hmm. And the response I got was basically like, I don't know, people, I, I think people are still kind of scared of bread, like yeah. not convinced that people would pick up a book on bread because it had been so demonized. Yeah. And then yeah. in 2020, when everyone started baking bread together, <laughs> there were a bunch of publishers that came back and were like, so I think we could use a book on bread. <laughs> 
Oh, it's like, I don't really believe in silver linings, but this does feel a little bit like the silver lining to COVID-19 was like a renaissance of love for bread, you know? Absolutely. I I feel like COVID, like made it made the argument for my work for me like pre yeah. <laughs> pre 2020 i had to convince people why my work mattered and then post 2020 it was just like people came to me because they were like we need to understand what's happening yeah yeah well and talking about certain foods that have been put on the the naughty list or seen as as things that should not be indulged in you do write quite a bit in your book about the diet culture of the 90s particularly in the christian subculture and i write about that a little bit in my book too that this was i don't know kendall i feel like it's my task and your task in this (laughs) podcast to educate Gen Zers about just how toxic the messaging around food and fat and thinness was as we were growing up. I think we're pretty close to the same age, but growing up in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, just fad diet after fad diet. And that some of that still remains, but the intensity of the emphasis on thinness as beauty and certain foods will not, uh, you know, will, will prevent you from being thin. And so you should Mm -hmm. stay, steer clear of them. And the Christian subculture in many ways bought into this. Like I have a list in my book of all the, some of the diet books that came out during this time. I mean, wild titles. Like I prayed myself slim, 1960, Jesus wants you well, 1973, help Lord, the devil wants me fat. <laughs> but that was 1982. In 2002, a book, What Would Jesus Eat? Uh, and then Thin Within, published, you know, kind of fairly recently. So it's like, this was all happening in secular, it wasn't just secular culture. Like, the, yeah. Christians had bought into this messaging about, yeah. um, about what beauty was. And it was being totally saturated by, by, by culture at large. And so I want, I want to hear, in your opinion, what, what maybe was going on theologically that kind of led to some of these beliefs and some of this emphasis, you know? Yeah. So, you know, in part, we have just this kind of does mirror the broader cultural trends, this like obsession with thinness and with dieting. But in the Christian sphere, I think it was particularly, it like got its claws into you in a particular way because it became not just thinness was a sign of beauty and a sign of sort of goodness, but thinness was a sign of holiness, that thinness yes. and and eating well was a sign of, you know, being right with God. Um, I, I think there are, I think one of the main things that led to this, so really fascinatingly, um, there was a, I believe a Catholic scholar who um, did research in, I think the 80s and 90s, essentially looking at kind of the ways that we talk about our bodies and control um, and looking at how sort of post the 60s and 70s, post kind of the sexual revolution, mm-hmm. um, the the shift in sort of what we controlled kind of altered. So in the 60s and 70s, there was kind of this hyper control of of the body in regards to sex Mm -hmm. and this idea of purity in regards to sex, but food was not talked about in the same way. Mm -hmm. And then after the sexual revolution, kind of the public narrative, it shifted where kind of sex became this thing that was free, but then food became this thing that was like deeply sort of monitored Mm -hmm. and purity of eating was something that was like deeply sort of hyper controlled. But in the Christian sphere, I think we see instead of kind of seeing that seesaw, we just see like the food purity at the same level now as the sexual purity conversations yeah, yeah, yeah. and both yeah. our eating and sort of our our 
sexual practices, everything became this opportunity for hyper control and this way to sort of express purity. Um, And it, I, I think there's, I think it has to do in part also with some sort of changes and trends in worship that, um, mm. that we have sort of the rise of evangelicalism that is really focused on sort of belief and experience and kind of yeah. knowing God in our minds and knowing God in our emotions that is scared of ritual and of rote routine. Yeah. And so what gets lost is some of these practices of the body that have been mm-hmm. a part of worship previously. Things like signing the cross and like, you know, bowing when a cross passes you by. These these like deeply bodily practices that had yeah. been a part of worship were taken out of worship. And what ends up happening is kind of this, this recognition that our bodies are really powerful, that yeah. our bodies have this powerful ability um, to you know, connect with God or to lead us away from God in some way. But that that got turned into sort of this anxiety about controlling the body and away yes. from understanding how the body can guide us into worship of God. And so mm. I think that is what's underneath a lot of the anxiety that fed the sort of food purity and sexual purity that was um, really sort of at the heart of both the sexual purity movement and then yeah. also these diet culture, sort of yeah. Christian Christian diet movements. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know about for you, but for me, what that meant was for the the vast majority of my my growing, I would say from age thirteen to maybe thirty three. So this that's half my life. Yeah. That that, that the the pleasure of eating food felt um, was com- completely stolen from me. Yeah. In the sense that I didn't I didn't feel I felt like it was somehow sinful to really enjoy and indulge f- food. And we had verbiage around this, like talking about you know, well, I don't deserve. I don't deserve mm-hmm. that dessert or um, I've or been talk about bad. The guilty pleasure. Guilty, guilty just, pleasure. Yes. That term alone um, is, is enough to kind of clue, clue folks in it. Like what we were thinking about the, the way that we ate and, and eating for me has never been about health and healing. It was always about thinness, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Cause that's what, that's what was good. That's what was right. That's what you don't, you don't eat to get healthy. You don't eat to heal. You don't eat to enjoy your life and enjoy the body God gave you. You know, you eat to fit into a pair of jeans, you know, like it's just wildly ridiculous stuff. And we had zero role models during that time period of different body sizes and different, um, you know, different forms of beauty. It was, it was one look. I saw somebody post a music video from, I think it was 2001 and it was just super triggering for me. I I don't, I don't like to overuse that word triggering, but it was, it was like, it stirred up a lot of feelings of me Mm -hmm. and that, that pressure to conform. Um, and so I, yeah, I just remember spending a lot, most of my life, hungry because I thought hunger was maybe a sign of a lack of willpower or yeah uh, um and and that makes me really really sad because gosh why do we why did God give us taste buds why did yeah why did God make food have so much wonderful flavor if it wasn't meant to be enjoyed you know yeah and I mean you know there's I love looking sort of in the story of Genesis 1 and 2 that food is kind of this central piece of what God has created. And then God put humanity in the garden. And essentially their job was to tend to these fruit trees and to eat them and to enjoy them. That mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. eating was basically what humans did. Yeah. Um, 
you know, some people say like, I don't, you know, I don't live to eat, I eat to live. And it's like, well, that's kind of all there was. Like, (laughs) you just ate and you lived. And that was like, that was life in the garden. Um, And actually throughout so much of human history, that's been sort of, life has been like, preparing food and eating food like everything yeah, is kind of centered food. around acquiring and eating yeah. food mm-hmm. um, and we have like built these larger civilizations around that and so we sort of treat food as something trivial within that but like at the core of it everything we do is like needing to acquire food and eat food so that we continue to live that's um, right and you know god god could have made us without taste buds or god could mm-hmm. have made it so that food tasted bad or god could have even made it so that we did not eat need to eat to live like we see you know trees that are drawing you know the the nutrients up out of the soil through their root systems or we see you know plants with leaves that are converting energy from the sun and yeah like god yeah. could have made us in other ways to get this need filled but God didn't. Like, we were given this ability to enjoy delicious, delicious things. Yes. Yeah. And I, I hope we're rounding a corner a little bit as a culture and, and, and seeing, you know, ha- having all forms of beauty celebrated and, and the recognition that, that the standards we were held to in the 90s was actually quite unhealthy. And yeah. I, I think that we're – I think I sometimes just want um, Gen Zers to know why we struggle. <laughs> <laughs> why yeah. millennials like like me struggle sometimes yeah. and have these inner demons that we're still battling <laughs> when it comes to sitting down to a table which should be a worshipful experience Absolutely. of thanksgiving and for god's provision and instead is like this inner tor- turmoil of do i deserve this am i have i been good enough to eat th-? yeah I mean, um to, to to rewind and erase and rewrite that messaging is it is has been so hard to do because yeah. it's yeah. like it's woven deep into our body, like our whole bodies remember mm-hmm. this yeah. sort yeah. of feeling of not being thin enough or good enough yeah. or strong enough or, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, speaking of not being enough, you also do a really beautiful job in your book writing about um, the lim- your own personal limitations. Um, you... I mean, it's clear based on your bio and everything you're doing, (laughs) you are a talented, driven person. And if you all read the book by Brad alone, um, you'll kind of see Kendall's journey through the restaurant industry, which is super intense. I've heard from anyone involved in the industry. It's super intense. But you kind of come to this place where you realize that you do have limits. There is a limit to your strength and how much you can do. Um, and I just love to hear you share a little bit more about that and what that was like. Yeah, I have a, a former roommate who has told me that like the pattern of my life is that I just like go so hard until I crash. And then I yeah. kind of like crash and have to recover. But yeah. then I like go, go again until I crash once again. And that has been sort of the rhythm of my life for yeah. many years. I'm attempting now to to break that cycle um, and prevent the the burnout yeah. and then the, you know, the, the up and down and create a little bit more stasis and, you know, times of rest and times of, of hard work, but mm-hmm. not, you know, acknowledging that I function within limits, not, not waiting for the limits to sort of force themselves upon me. Right. <laughs> um, right. But that has been so much of my, my sort of life story is um, so much of it is born out of, anxiety and Mm. sort of fear of like what comes next. And if I don't figure it out and work until, Mm -hmm. you know, work myself raw, then um, I'm going to miss out on something somehow. 
And, yes. and yes. so that is, I think for me, what drives it. Um, but another piece of what drives it is just like, I'm excited about what I'm doing and I yeah. love what I'm doing and I want to keep going. Um, and so I have a tendency to just, you know, work, 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 build up all the projects, like have no sense of limits or boundaries until finally my body just shuts down. Sometimes my body, sometimes my brain. You know, in the restaurant industry, when I was working in food, it was like I would hit the points physically where I could not go on. Um, but I'm, I've done the same, you know, as a writer and, and in mm-hmm. school where you just like keep going brain wise until finally it's like my my brain can't process information anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. I think we all have that sort of tendency. And, and in many ways, I think, you know, like culturally, we tend to praise people that like push past those limits. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I you like picture the the like Rocky montage of like, <laughs> look at this person who just gets up early in the morning and eats all the raw eggs and he's going to transform his body. And it, like, you know, this like praising the person who transcends those like human limitations. Yeah. Or we have, you know, we praise the Silicon Valley, you know, folks who are yeah. in their intermittent fasting or whatever sort of body hack they're doing now where yeah. they can sort of transcend the body's limitations and get more power out of the brain. Yeah. Um, and there is something I think beautiful about like recognizing that our bodies are powerful and our brains are powerful and that, you know, we can do incredible extreme things with them. But also there's beauty in recognizing yeah. like that being human means being limited and it it forces us that limitation forces us to rely on god and Mm -hmm. when we're forced into this place where we rely on god then we get to see god behave in these really beautiful miraculous wonderful ways yeah well and i i think that is something that i always like conceptually i knew this right like I do not believe in the prosperity gospel. I do not believe that God's going to make me healthy and wealthy and heal me of all my diseases. And working in the aid industry, I always knew, hey, I could, I could die. You know, I knew I was mortal, yeah. I guess. And so yeah. I would go to these places that were insecure. And I, I knew, like, I, I, I could be in, there's physical risk involved sometimes in serving the Lord. What I wasn't counting on, though, was like, the high levels of cortisol slowly wearing Mm. me down such that I could not do the things I thought I wanted to do. Like I didn't die of malaria and I didn't die via terrorist attack or earthquake, you know, all the things you think it's like, I am slowly dying of adrenal fatigue. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? And, and that was the limit, you know, that there was a form of limitation that I had fully embraced, but that form of limitation was one that I just, I, that really caught me off guard because I, I somehow had in my mind that if I'm serving the Lord, my 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 energy will be limitless if i'm serving yeah. the lord i will pour from a cup that will never run dry and there was this i did the same thing as i mean we have similar stories in many ways cuz i'm i'm the type that runs hard until i crash and a doctor mm-hmm. has to say you have inflammation in your organs that we can't explain <laughs> please rest you know what I mean like it takes like some kind of a funky diagnosis for me to say like it's okay for me to stop you know what I mean yeah and I I see that I saw that in your book and I was like okay like I'm not alone like sorry you went through that but in some ways it was really comforting (laughs) to me to know I'm not the only one you know what I mean no definitely not definitely not I had some friends last summer who um they moved away you know a couple of years ago and they were back in town visiting and 
they were asking kind of what my fall looked like, and I was giving them my whole travel and speaking schedule for the fall. Mm-hmm. And they they asked at one point, you know, so so when does it slow down? Like, do you, you know, when when do you feel like you will stop traveling mm-hmm. and speaking kind of every single weekend or every other weekend? Right. And, you know, there was part of me that was like, oh, well, when these other, you know, this is my job and this is what I get my, you know, this is what pays my bills. And so when I can find, you know, other aspects of my work, pay my bills, then I can slow down my, my speaking. But I realized like this is, I'm going to have excuses forever for, yeah. for when I'm going to slow down. And and I, I think in that question, realize like it'll slow down when, when I choose to slow it down. When I yeah. say, okay, I'm, I'm ready to slow down and I'm ready to be at home more. Um, yeah. And that's a hard, it is hard to, to recognize that sometimes our limits mean giving up things that are really good and things that yeah. we love. Sometimes right. our limits, like acknowledging our limits mean, you know, we're, we're going to miss out on something that yeah. might be really helpful, but we're also missing out if we don't honor those limitations. Right. I know. I feel like people like you, me, sometimes it's like this easy to um, kind of criticize and say, just you're a workaholic. Like, what, yeah. you know, why can't you just slow down? But there's a, a complex list of reasons, I think, sometimes we run at this pace. Like, yeah, some of it is maybe addiction to the adrenaline and so, but some of it is really pure motives of like, I really do think this could be helpful for someone. Or I really do think this would be a good thing I can do for the yeah. Lord. And yeah. and some of it is that FOMO <laughs> too yeah. of like, if I don't do this now, it may never happen again. And life is short. And like, you yeah. know, it's so it's it's all these complex reasons, I think, that keep us at this pace. You know, absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. There's no simple explanation for it. Um, well, I yeah. And I, I guess like for me, I think there's also this sense in which, like, we always love the superhuman, like, we love the story of superhuman strength. Mm-hmm. We love the story of miraculous healing. Um, and there's a quote, I'm going to read this quote from Amy Kenny, who wrote that book, My, my, um, my Body is Not a Prayer Request. She said, to assume that my disability, so she's a disabled person writing about disability in the church. She said, to assume that my disability needs to be erased in order for me to live an abundant life is disturbing, not only because of what it says about me, but also because of what it reveals about people's notions of God. I bear the image of the Alpha and Omega. My disabled body is a temple for the Holy Spirit. To suggest that I am anything less than sanctified and redeemed is to suppress the image of God in my disabled body and to limit how God is already at work through my life. Yeah, I don't know. It's seeing God at work in your rest, you know? Mm. Like, what is that experience like for you? Instead of instead of saying we see God at work in the superhuman feats of strength, yeah. what about in the rest? In the what rest. About in the limitations? Yeah, I think I always turn back to bread because that is mm-hmm. the, the great love of my life, but also <laughs> what I think teaches me so much about God. Um, and in bread making, rest is central to the process of making mm. bread. That yeah. um, the f- most of the flavor and the texture of bread are developed while the dough is at rest. And it is incredibly humbling as a baker to recognize, like, my job as a baker is to create the proper conditions for this dough, to mix yeah. the dough up. But then I have to set it aside. And the dough yeah. has 
to rest for many, many hours to actually mm. become bread. Wow. Um, and it's really humbling to realize, like, it's, if I am an active agent in this bread this entire time, it's going to be bad bread. Mm. <laughs> it's going to fall apart. Yeah. It's not going to get the flavor that it needs. Like, the rest is central to bread becoming bread and to bread wow. becoming good bread. And I have to trust when the bread is resting and when I choose to rest with the bread um, that the yeast is going to do the work that the yeast is supposed to do, that the, right. the yeast is going to leaven that dough, even when I step aside and, and let it sit there. And in the same way, I think that has really helped me to see that God does work in us. God transforms us. God grows us and strengthens us and flavors us when we are at rest. Yeah. And it requires us to trust that God is going to do the work that God says he will do when we're resting. But what, what we get as a result is so worth it. It's so beautiful. And it's so, um, yeah, I mean, I am definitely a like forward thinking person. Like I'm always excited about whatever is 10 (laughs) steps down the line. Yeah. 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 But it is so hard for me to deeply enjoy the moment or the season that I'm in currently. And it's like, I'm looking forward to that thing, but by the time I get to it, I'm not going to be enjoying it because I'm going to be looking forward to the next thing. And and for me, learning to rest has in part just been learning to let myself deeply enjoy what I'm in and what I'm doing right now. Yeah. It's like Sabbath was made for folks like you and me. I mean, it was made for so many reasons, right? Like for... (laughs) reasons around justice and the <laughs> land and all kinds of things but like it's 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 also so it much just about like comes naturally to some people and for some does. of us it is a challenge <laughs> it is it is it's just this requirement to be fully present in yeah. the day and yeah. to to lean not on your own efforts but trusting god's provision i think is is it's such an act of faith like it yeah. is a, a weekly uh demand on my um my most natural inclinations, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I always have to tell people when I, I teach bread baking workshops all the time. And um, I'm like, if, if anything that I am teaching makes you think that I am someone who is good at this or that I am someone who like naturally is, you know, slow paced and desires rest, like you have the wrong sense of who I am. Like, yeah, I am drawn to this work because it's so counter to what yeah feels natural, but also so counter to sort of culturally what we're taught is good. Right, right, right. And to, I have finally started to, to, to believe that some of these warning signs that my body gives me, even my tiredness, is a good thing. It is a, it is yeah. a blessing. Like our bodies are so, so good. Because it, it, what it's telling me is that it's, it's time to stop. It's, 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 it's this kind of communication device, I think, between my, my physicality and my heart and my soul and my mind to say, you're taking on too much. You're carrying too much. You're tired. I'm going to, you know, start making your gallbladder function improperly (laughs) so that you. Yeah. So that you will actually stop and slow down. And again, I, I'm not one that celebrates pain. I think it's okay, okay to lament and grieve um, pain in this world and physical pain in this world. But the fact that our bodies have signals to us to tell us when it's time to stop is also yeah. a pretty phenomenal mir- uh, miracle, I think. You know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's easy to treat some of those limitations as though it's a result of the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, this actually kind of brings me back to some of the diet culture stuff. You know, when I was growing up, my family followed a, a biblical dietary plan called the Hallelujah Diet. And the of it, sort of, of <laughs> the messaging of the Hallelujah Diet was essentially like, 
eat your way back to the garden. Um, something about like eating our way back to the garden and this idea yeah. that like if we eat as we assume Adam and Eve ate in the garden, then we will have bodies that are like Adam and Eve's in the garden. And by that, it meant like bodies free of pain and sickness yeah. and what have you. But um, I, you know, theologically have problems with that because, you know, the, the story of scripture is not one of going back to the garden, but going ahead to the resurrection. Yeah. Um, but also, I think it forces us to to sort of overlook the fact that even in the garden, Adam and Eve's bodies had limitations. Yeah. Like, there were limitations on them. They had to eat. I mean, just the fact that they had to <laughs> yes, eat. Yes, exactly. It, yeah. But then also, like, God limited what they could eat. God yeah. told them, do not eat of this one tree. That, like, there was limitation in the garden, mm-hmm. and that limitation was also something good. Yeah, that's right. And I, I mean, I, I have one more question I want to ask you, but I think this just brings me back to the, the main, the core reason that I have remained a Christian, despite some mm-hmm. of my doubts and my questions and things like that, is just the story of incarnation is yeah. a story that's too uh, beautiful for me to turn away from. This idea that God, God walked, stepped into a body and, and imposed mm-hmm. that physical limitation on himself. Like the fact that God has had the experience of living in a body with all its beauty and with all its hardship and challenges um, to me is, is something that just feels so phenomenal. And yeah, um, that's a God I want to worship, <laughs> you know, Absolutely. a God who knows what it is to be in our skin, um, I think is, is pretty remarkable. So, um, but so I, I, the question I'm asking all my, my guest is, um, you know, cause I wrote a book about happiness and unhappiness and kind of a, the dynamic relationship that we have with both of those feelings and both those emotional experiences. So as you've grown in your walk with the Lord and in your journey of faith, how would you say your perspective on what it means to be happy or blessed has changed or evolved? Yeah, I think I would say that I have come to learn that our, like we can have deep joy in lives that don't look like what we expected them to look like. Um, and that joy, the joy really has less to do with kind of the situations and much more to do with the communities that we are embedded in. Mm. Um, and that I think, yeah, we were created for community and it's in community that we experience kind of, um, yeah, I think it's through community that we experience God, that God created us to exist with one another and to need one another that that's sort of where where our joy really sort of permeates from. Um, and I, I think if there was anything I could have told my younger self, it would be focus less on finding the right job and finding the right house and finding the right sort of income streams and finding the right, you know, looking for the right future family and spend mm-hmm. a lot more time embedding yourself in community and really allowing mm-hmm. yourself to enjoy community because that's where your joy will come from and that's where um yeah that's that is going to be far more significant to how you view your life than Mm. whether or not you get the things that that you want right yeah the script (laughs) the script doesn't always even deliver on what it promises no (laughs) it's like you find the right job find the right spouse do this find this ministry like whatever you know increase your follower count like whatever it is these these scripts that we're given that we say this is what's going to deliver happiness sometimes those things actually deliver stress like (laughs) sometimes they deliver hardship and and 
And you're right. I, I love that idea of being present with the people around you to me is what, yeah, leads to that quality of life and that glimpse of God in, in the faces of other people. That's such a beautiful thought. And, and you're doing that around tables. I just love <laughs> the work that you're doing, getting people eyeball to eyeball around a meal, talking, sharing um, in this embodied way. So, Kendall, thank you for, for coming on, and thank you so much for the work you do. Uh, where can people find you if they're, if they're looking to follow you or looking to, to learn more about your work? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at KNVSlice and at my website, www.kendallvanderslice.com. Um, and you can find my organization, Edible Theology, at Edible Theology Project on Instagram and at edibletheology.com. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on today. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. Kendall writes in her book by Brad Alone, In Christian tradition, one of the primary means of knowing God is by breaking. In the sacrament of the Eucharist, the breaking of the loaf marks the moment of mysterious transformation from ordinary bread into Jesus' body It was the breaking of bread that alerted the disciples of Christ's presence on the path to Emmaus. Breaking is a necessary aspect of remaking. It is the breaking that allows us to eat and in our eating to be transformed. It is the sharing of a broken loaf that binds us together in community. And I write in my book, Holy Unhappiness. Contrary to what the emotional prosperity gospel would have us believe, we do not need a miraculous story of healing to be thankful for our bodies. We do not need an eye-catching transformation via some fad diet to celebrate our bodies. We do not need some superhuman feat of strength to believe that the skin and bones God gave us are enough. My physicality, the unique and particular way in which I take up space in this world is God's good and specific design. It is not just my mind or soul that was created good. My body is good too. It is indeed impacted by the fall, just like the rest of creation that waits and groans for its redemption, but it is still a good gift. I breathe as only I can breathe, move as only I can move, exist as only I can exist. I can love the skin God gave me. He gave it to me as my home, my rest. There is indeed beauty in brokenness. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you join us next week. We're going to be talking about the blessing of humility.